This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hi, welcome to It's a Doggy Dog World. I'm Liz Palaika, and with me today are my good friends, Peter Burke. Hello. And Kate Abbott. How do? And in our previous podcast, we talked about our favorite dog movies and a couple of TV shows. And a few that scarred us psychologically, or more likely scarred Kate psychologically. I avoided them, but she watched them and got psychological damage. wounds. <laughs> yeah. But we promised you in this podcast we would talk about our favorite dog books. Now, Petra's a little handicapped by that because she said all she read were horse books. Horse books. Yeah. I, I read the horse books, too. That could be an entirely different podcast. But I also read dog books. And Kate was a big reader, too. And these are not just fiction. Kate and I both compared notes, found that we read a lot of dog training books and dog psychology books and learning theory books, even as teenagers. I had favorites that were dog-eared and highlighted and, and all marked up long before I became a dog trainer. I was just fascinated by it, and especially things like the books on guide dogs and working dogs, which, of course, were German shepherds. <laughs> of course. wonder where you love the shepherds. Uh-huh. Yeah. So let's compare a little of our, our favorite books. Look, let's start with the nonfiction. One of my favorites was Leon Whitney and his dog psychology book. I read that one cover to cover numerous times, and, and today it would be somewhat dated because we've learned so much in the last four or five uh, decades since his book was written, but a lot of it's still sound, but I, I loved that book. I had a little paperback by Paul Loeb, and the thing that I remember the most was he had a Weimaraner that he would send, he lived in New York City. And the dog would go around the corner to the supermarket, bodega, whatever, pick up a cart, knock off some canned dog food into the cart, take it to the register. They'd total it up, put it on the bill, put it in a bag, and he'd carry it home. See, I can't imagine anyone doing that today. Today. It's just so dangerous to send your dog out. Right, right. <sighs> but at the time, I was like, what a guy just... I was blown away. Sure, sure. I'm sure there were other things, other training things in the book, but that one was like, whoa. Yeah. So many variables, such a complex thing, that just blew me away. See, that's what I saw, too, and what fascinated me with guide dog training. Yeah. When I read about it as a kid. First of all, my vision isn't the best. It's well corrected now, but when I was a kid, glasses weren't as good, so... It was like, guide dog, yeah, okay, if my if my eyes get worse, I'll have a German Shepherd guide dog. <laughs> and, it, and it wasn't wishful. I can see her doing that, too. Yeah, it wasn't wishful thinking. It was just, you know, plan B. <laughs> well, see, when I was the third, fourth grade, uh-huh. um, both my hearing and my sight went. And so the, I would think, which one would I rather have fixed? And I was like, well, it would be harder to get around as a blind person, but I'd have a dog. Yeah, <laughs> from another mother. And I have music. I was really, if yeah. I went deaf, I was worried about losing music. Not talking yeah. to people, just losing music. Right, right. Yeah. Another one that I really enjoyed, and I, for for those who really love books, I, I it's sacrilegious, but I had highlighted and pages turned down and earmarked, and was William Campbell's Dog Behavior book. Ah, uh, yes. 
And I used that as a Bible for a long time, even after I started dog training, because he was really he was really ahead of the game in many things. He was the first one that, that I ever heard of that talked about the effect of food on behavior. Huh? And that's a subject I went on to research a lot on my own. But he was the one that brought it up and said, you know, some diets, some foods, some ingredients can affect how a dog learns and how he retains what he's learned. And that just caught my attention going, whoa. So he was really ahead of his game on in the field. And now, yes, going back, it would be his work would be dated. We've learned yeah. so much in the decades. But, but those his prose was also fun. William Campbell and Leon Whitney both loved dogs, truly loved dogs, and wanted our understanding of dogs to be better. And I appreciated that with both of them. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I never went attended a dog training class until I started here as a student. Oh, really? Wow. So, but I was a dedicated watcher of Barbara Woodhouse on TV. <laughs> Walkies! <laughs> and her books on training and her biography. As a kid, she would ride cows and teach them to jump hurdles. Oh, I remember horse. that. I remember that, yeah. So and there's people who still, still ride cows. Still ride, yeah, yeah, yeah. from her. Yeah. It, was a, yeah. Yeah, it was a view of a life that was science fiction to me. Uh huh. Yeah. And it wasn't that I ever thought I could do well, that. You and I both grew up with military dads. Yeah. And. Military dads, especially in that era, didn't have much money. My dad would have loved to have gotten me a horse, and he told me that. But we moved every two years, and, you know, you can't take a horse from Connecticut to California in that era. And well, not even the horses, the, the dogs. I mean, uh, that, oh, that, yeah. the, well, working with animals could be a living. Right, right. That right. just never, it wasn't on my radar. Yeah. I thought it was so cool that these things, other than like Doctari and Elsa and oh, yeah. Free and all yeah. of that, so if yeah. you, or Jane Goodall and go work with the apes and the gorillas. Okay, that was interesting, but not really attractive to me. No, I, did, I didn't want to go sit in the jungle and count apes. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but the, the books were interesting and their lives were interesting, but other than, yeah, when it came to the actual nuts and bolts it was my psychology and the uh -huh. mod of, as, yeah. it, as it applied to people and then practice with my dog right right well that's how i got into it um when paul and i got married 30 days later he was shipped overseas for 13 months and i was very young and that was not in my plan of how life should go and i got very depressed and my navy commanding officer said snap out of it and do something about this. You know, they didn't send you to the doctor for that at that time. So I got me a puppy. I got me a German Shepherd puppy, and he and I accomplished a huge amount in that year that my husband was gone. And then people started asking me how I taught him. How did I train him? Well, I'd gone to a trainer. I'd gone to a dog training club. But then when I had learned all they could offer me, I started teaching him myself and searched out other trainers and did other things and read books and went, we can do this. Yeah. And then people said, how did you do that? Another word. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then my husband came home and he said, oh, I want a dog. <laughs>
And that was all she wrote. <laughs> but you did the Call of the Wild and the White Fang. Oh, I love those books. So you had the model of the brave working dog, working right. companion. Right. And that was when we talked about movies in the previous podcast. That's what attracted me was, and why I have herding dogs. I like dogs who are working companions who want to do things with me. And um, the vision of Buck and White Fang and Call of the Wild was just, not that I wanted to do that, mm -hmm. but the relationship between the dog and the owner and the dog willing to do these things for his owner. And, and that goes back to the guide dogs. Right. You know, the guide dogs who can take their blind owner through the airport or down the cities in New York City and go on the subway. and The, the idea of intelligent disobedience. That, yes. That, that yes. Away. Yes. Uh huh. So yeah, those were the the ones that appealed to me. But I I just for myself I can't remember a lot of dog as hero books. There were the, I did the the horse books too, and science fiction. Mm -hmm. But I think I read White Fang and so forth, and it was just too too alien to me. After I said I read science fiction, but that was meant to be. Well, two of my favorites. Well, the Jack London books. It's more than one book, but The Call of the Wild and White Fang were a continuation story. The same theme, the, the similar setting. The story of the Iditarod dogs and Balta mm -hmm. set in the, the, the north, the frozen north and all that. And the, the companionship, the relationship. Those books I absolutely devoured. Mm -hmm. And whenever Jack London had a new one show up or it showed up in the library, man, I was the first one to get it. So those were very attractive to me, and I read them all multiple times. Another one, Big Red, is a, there's a series, and I think it's about six books, or it was when I was reading them. And they were written by Jim Kelgard, and it's just, the first one, Big Red, is a story about a show dog, Irish setter, you know, who were supposed to be pretty, in the flowing red coat, and this kid, a friend of the owner, falls in love with the dog, and he convinces the owner of the dog to let him teach him field work and so forth. But it goes on much more than that. The kid runs a trap line. The dog fights off a bear to save the kid. And, you know, fantastic extreme stories that, you know, I don't know of any Irish setter that on his own by himself could fight off a bear. Not putting down Irish setters, but just, you know, that. that. But... The books were very well written, and they sucked you in. Yeah. So you were in that story, and if the Irish setter got hurt, you were with the kid, and you grieved for him. Oh, my God. And and just extremely good books. I would grab one of these books from the library, go up to my room, close the door, cuddle up on my bed with the blankets up around me, and read the whole book, all right. the one sitting. One great big gulp. And if my mom called me to set the table... I got mad at her. <laughs> so uh, those two series. And then, of course, Rin Tin Tin. You know, for me... Oh, that's like the best. The, for me, the German Shepherd. I imprinted on German Shepherds. They were my first breed. And oh, God, I should want one of those. The guide dogs were German Shepherds. And the military working dogs were German Rin Shepherds. And Rin Tin Tin, there was... Lassie was awesome, but there was nothing like Rin Tin Tin. And uh, yep. so I devoured all those. And then a librarian one day 
said, you know, there was a German shepherd before Rin Tin Tin who was a hero. And I went, whoa, and Strongheart. Oh, yeah. Strong, oh, yeah. Strongheart was the first German shepherd hero. And, uh, and his was a true story. There really was a Strongheart. And he was rescued from the, the World War I. He was running around in the foxholes and all that stuff. And a, a soldier saved him and brought him back to the U.S. with him, and he became a movie star. Right. And whereas Lassie, there were several Lassies. Strongheart did his own stunts. There was just Strongheart. Later his son, but his son wasn't the, the star that Strongheart was. So, so yeah, there's oh. Strongheart and Rin Tin Tin. I just remembered a movie, Wonton Tong, the dog that saved Hollywood. No? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. a great farce. It's a great farce. Yeah. Was it a farce on Rin Tin Tin? Yes. Oh. Yes. <laughs> uh, I can't think of the name of the act. You can't make a farce on Rin Tin Tin. That's not right. <laughs> it was a sweet farce, though. It was a sweet farce. Um, a ger- nice German shepherd. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'll think of the actor. Anyway, yeah. And then, since I'm on a roll here, how about the, where the red fern grows? Oh. Yeah. That was sad. But, you know... And the th- book was extremely well written. I think that was a required reading in high school or junior high. Junior high, something. I think it was. Just junior I high. think it was because yeah. everybody read it. Yeah, yeah. But you know, it it was a story of a kid who wanted a dog. Mm-hmm. Ended up getting two dogs. Mm-hmm. Dan and Little Ann. I remember their names. Dan <laughs> and Little Ann, brother and sister, and yep. he uh, he and the dogs learned how to hunt. And all their stories and adventures and winning hunting competitions. And then when both dogs die and they're buried under the tree, could rip my heart out, throw it on the ground, stomp on it. I cried so hard when those, I I mean, I was probably hysterical. Of course, I don't, you know, middle school, how old are you? Middle school. But but even though I read it again as an adult, (laughs) I still cried. And then when he goes back to check their grave later, and there's this beautiful, rare fern, red fern growing from the grave, and it's a sign. So, Wonton Tong, I have Zsa Zsa Gabor, Madeline Kahn. Madeline Kahn was the owner of, uh, and trainer of Wonton Tong. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but um, the um, they were always putting somebody like Gabor or somebody as the star, <laughs> and not her. Yeah, it was... It was um, that was a farce, but it was a fun one. I think when I went back to the Red Fern Girl, I think I remember reading the book, and when it came out with the movie, I didn't want to see it. I didn't see the movie. No, I, I never I did. Again. I Here we're back to the movie. Well, yeah. and I didn't want to it be disappointed. Yeah. You know, yeah. the books, right. the movies aren't the same as the books, and I did. I had read the book so many times, I knew it, and if they changed anything, I'd be so disappointed. Right. So yeah. I never did see the movie. Yeah. Sad. I still have a collection of Good Dog Carl. Yeah, that's on my list. When I had my Roddy, Roddy's, yeah, it was like, do you have this Carl book? Okay, I'll get it for you. So I have the whole collection somewhere. Yeah, I loved, I've never had a Roddy, but I loved the the first one. You're a good dog, Carl. You're a good dog, Carl. Yeah, when, and the description here says, and I just love the description. Take good care of the baby, Carl. Mother knows she can trust Carl, a large and lovable Rottweiler, to watch over baby Madeline. Do you remember the baby's name? 
Exactly. No, I didn't remember that part. But here we're thinking that Paul Loeb training his dog to go around the corner uh-huh. and get dog food is uh-huh. no longer allowed. Imagine leaving, leaving your baby, baby in the con- yeah, in <laughs> yeah. the arrow. But you know what? My folks left me with a German Shepherd. Yeah. We had a German Shepherd named Butch. And when my mom went grocery shopping, she'd push a stroller. There was a park right across the street from the grocery store. She'd leave me in the stroller with Butch with me. And she'd go across the street and go grocery shopping and come back out to the park, and I'd still be there with Butch. Nowadays, CPS would be called. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. Mother knows she can trust Carla, large and lovable Rottweiler. She was hoping somebody would steal <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. She's and leave been the dog. To you for years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What she doesn't know is the minute she's gone, Carla and the baby gallop off on adventures. <laughs> I do remember the baby riding on the back of Carl. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the things besides the stories I loved with um, with your good dog, Carl, is the illustrations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The illustrations were absolutely wonderful. And well, that was the majority of the book. I mean... Sure, it was a... It, they it were, wasn't a whole picture, lot of picture but, words. Yeah. yeah. This it says the author, gorgeous. Alexandra Day, but it doesn't say who the illustrator is. Wasn't she both? Oh, maybe she was. Maybe she was. Maybe I just assumed all this time. Yeah, but it doesn't say. So if it wasn't Alexandra Day, thank you. They were wonderful. Yeah. All right. Well, we need to take a break for our sponsors, so hold on. We've got a lot more to talk about when we get back. Sit. Stay. It's a doggy dog world. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. You know that feeling when you go to clean the litter box and it's a complete disaster? Yeah, we've got you covered. Introducing World's Best Cat Litter Zero Mess, the advanced litter that gives you two times better clumping and more odor control with less litter. Zero Mess combines the concentrated power of corn with superabsorbent plant fibers. Translation, scoop once and you're done. Find it at a pet store near you and save $2. Visit www.saveonworldsbest.com. When I adopted her, she was a mess. Scabs, itching, licking, missing fur, hot spots, a thin, dull coat. So I take the dog to the vet for the standard run-of-the-mill tests and treatments. No results. I hear your advertisement on the radio. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. 859-428-1000. So I get the five-pound box of Dynavite and the Lico Chops. Within a four-week total, instead of a German Shedder, I have a German Shepherd. Sheba is a 105 lean pounds of shiny, smooth, happy dog for life because she gets fed Dynavite. And the results, they're just incredibly outstanding. And she loves it. When you rescue a dog, you have to do the right thing. You've got to feed them right for life. Do the Dynavite. Dynavite for life. 859-428-1000. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. We know you're begging for more. So back to It's a Doggy Dog World with your fetching hosts, Liz Palaika and this week's co-hosts, Kate Abbott and Petra Burke. Welcome back to It's a Doggy Dog World. This is your host, Liz Palaika, with my good friends, Petra Burke and Kate Abbott. So I've got one more on my list. You want you want it before you go on to finish yours? Yeah, yeah. John Steinbeck. 
travels with Charlie. Yep, yep. You know, I bought my RV for the dog. Yes. And uh, he was the first one that did that. He got a cab over camper for his pickup truck mm-hmm. and named her after Tilting at Windmills. Who was uh, the horse? Rossiante? Rossiante? Rosamond. Oh, Rosamond. Okay. Named the truck and the, the camper after the horse in uh, Tilting at Windmills. And then he traveled the country with his standard black poodle, Charlie. And the, the adventures. The book today... I had read something, a comment about it a couple years ago. Somebody had read it for the first time and kind of negative reviews. Yeah. And I went back and read it and it is, nothing is politically correct. Oh, well. It, you know, the, the era that it was written, it was written many years ago. Back um, then it was fine. Back then it was fine. Today <laughs> he would probably be, oh, 1960. Today he would probably be considered somewhat of a racist. Definitely not politically correct. But his adventures and his descriptions of people, other than the lack of political correctness, how people reacted to Charlie, Charlie's travels with him, Charlie getting sick, finding a vet, Charlie finding romance. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. It, it, even rereading it in this era a couple of years ago, it was still... A very interesting read because John Steinbeck was such a wonderful writer. I mean, his Mice and Men and the Grapes of Wrath, I mean, those are more than just classics. Those are... Somehow Charlie just got relegated as kind of a frivolous book to the side. Yes, it did. It it was never considered the classic that the Grapes of Wrath or of Mice and Men. But it's still... I remember when it came out, I think it was in Reader's Digest or serialized in Reader's Digest or something, and my folks always subscribed, so I was waiting for the next one. <laughs> right, of course. And then for Christmas one year, I got my own copy of it. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. Yeah. Well, those are my stack of favorites. How about you guys? The only thing I can add to that is, uh, well, you know, I'm time impaired. A few years ago, a friend was in a book club, and she'd been after me to join the book club for discussions, and the books that they were talking about were, frankly, mostly along religious themes, and I was like, eh, thanks, but really no, know so. the, those yeah. sexy books? No, I, thought most, I thought most book, book clubs got the, uh, you know, the steamy ones. Yeah, the steamy ones, <laughs> exactly. It was the church group. Oh, okay. okay. And I was like, thanks, that's lovely, but no. And then they popped up with, well, we're going to read this one about a dog. Or like, has huh? to do with dogs. And I went, oh. <laughs> huh? um, the story of Edgar Sautel. Oh, right. And when you read it, and I had read some reviews of it, then I got a copy of it. Yeah. That was, the writing was wonderful. The storyline. Uh, it was it's strange. It's a boy who has no voice. He can't speak. He's mute. And um, his mother and dad are they're farmers but they also are raising and breeding to create a kind of dog that they want like a farm collie basically but the best farm collie ever so there's a lot of talk about the dogs and he works with the dogs a lot and then trauma happens and he runs away with two or three of the dogs including i don't know if it she was considered the alpha bitch or the mama dog or but yeah yeah one of the adult females who basically took him under her wing and they took off anyway it's um it's not a light book it's not a thin book 
No. But it's got many, many levels to it. it many levels to it and odd. Yeah. It, it wasn't it wasn't like anything else that's been written or I, I had ever read. And there were times, my reading comprehension is very good, but there were times I'd reach a point and go, and go back. Right. <laughs> right. It was so... You could read it on so many levels. Right. It, it was widely publicized. It was on... I mean, a lot of talk shows, a lot of reviews, because it was different. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was different. There was one scene where he's watching his mom train some of the young dogs. It was something like he was always amazed at how she could bound across the barn, and it seemed like two jumps to correct a dog who was just thinking about breaking the stay. <laughs> but yet, we have that thought process now. You know, watching a dog's body language. Yeah. So many times you know what he's going to do before. And I remember reading that going, uh-huh. Yes. Yeah, uh-huh. Maybe that's why it resonated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. And then the other people in the book. And I was like, so wait, okay, I had notes and let's talk about them. And they're like, okay, well, this is a really weird book. And I'm like, no, no, this is book club. Let's really discuss it. Y- yeah, well, he can't talk. No, but the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> that was my one and only book with the book club. And the training, yes. Yeah. And they're all sitting looking too dumbfounded. And, and, and see, it's a metaphor for this other thing. And then the, they're, like, they're uh-huh. like, uh-huh. right. Okay, so <laughs> anyway, yeah. Yeah. Okay. It kicked you out. You and I talked about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, All right. Just what else? The next book. Uh, that was the most recent dog book, actually. I didn't have many at all that were recent. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, of course, I read new training books, read psychology books. Oh, yeah. Read, you know. But for one that really struck me as a real favorite, most of them, I guess because I read a lot of these when I was young, so they made a bigger impression yeah. on me. Yeah. And then you and I, Petra, read the horse books. Oh, gosh, yeah. Every Black Stallion book ever written. That's why my truck is called the Black Beauty. <laughs> read Black Beauty yep. multiple, multiple yep. times. Yep, uh, every time there's a movie made of it, I was watching it. Marguerite Henry. My dad got... Marguerite Henry resonates with me on many levels. One, my dad, when he was overseas, he was in the Bering Straits of Alaska... And he ordered, before you could order online, he ordered a copy of Marguerite Henry's Album of Horses. And he sent that to my mom to give to me for Christmas when I was a kid. And I couldn't have been more than six or seven. I still have that book today. (laughs) And then I got all of her other books. And then as an adult, when I started the Love Unleashed Therapy Dog program... When we were about our second or third year into visiting local nursing homes, I found out she was in a nursing home in Encinitas. And one of our friends today with dogs, Michelle Lund, was the one who found her there. And Michelle loves horses Mm -hmm. and dogs both, too. And she let us all know that Marguerite was there. So a couple weeks later, Care Bear and I went down to Encinitas. I wanted to tell her how important her books were to me. You know, as a kid, but she didn't remember. She didn't remember her own books. She didn't remember her books. But I told her, I'm so sorry, but I just want you to know that you made an impression on me when I was a kid. And she was happy about that. But she didn't remember her own books, which was sad. But, you know, you always want at some point anybody who's made a big impression or helped you or done something for you, let them know. Oh, yeah. I wish I had found her years before then, but, Mm. but yeah. But I loved her books and reread them and reread them and reread them and still have several of them on my bookshelf yeah. at home. <laughs> yep. 
Yeah. What other ones did you read? You know, it's been so long, I can't remember them all. Oh, The Horses of... Cinquete. Chick- yeah. Is that oh, that's, my, that's Marguerite Henry. Yeah. That's Marguerite Henry. When yeah. Paul and Mid- I were... Misty of Cinquete. Of Cinquete. Cinquete. Yeah. When Paul and I were back stationed with Marine Corps back in Washington, D.C., we went to Cinquete. Oh, did you? And so I th- that would be cool to I do. threatened to throw yeah. a one of the foals that they swim across the channel and then auction off for the fire department. I wanted to buy one and throw it in the back of the car. And drive <laughs> nobody home. would notice. And, and nobody would notice. And he says, we have a small backyard. And he said, in two years, we're going back to California. And I went, I don't care. <laughs> I could make it work. And he said, no. I just lost <sighs> myself in those books. Yeah. I could only have that Yeah. Yeah. Those are fun. Yeah. Medicine hat yeah. stallion. Medicine hat, yes. Yeah. The Pony Express. Five o'clock Charlie. The horse that at five o'clock did his got off his job, and then he retired. He was not happy being retired, and he would pace and pace and pace until the five o'clock bell rang. Working horses, just like working dogs. Yeah, need something to do when they're retired. Uh huh. Yeah. So. Wow, crazy. All right. Well, hopefully that brought back some memories for you. We didn't talk a lot about modern books, but Trish shared the ones that made an impression on us when we were alive. Well, and obviously I've gotten away from reading dog novels. So if you have any suggestions for dog novels, say, let me know. Drop me yeah, a drop us an email. Yeah. I still like to read, so let me know. Yep. All right. On that note, we'll let you go. And if you didn't listen to the previous podcast on our favorite dog movies, take a listen to that, too. <laughs> yep. All right. We'll, we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Take care. Having a rough day? Longing for the dog days of summer? Think your fun furry friend lives a dog's life? Well, find out everything you're begging to know as Pet Life Radio presents It's a Doggy Dog World with pet expert and award-winning author Liz Palaika. Every dog has his day, and you'll find out how to make your dog's day fun and rewarding every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs>